It's Jared Waitley. Thanks for listening to the podcast. In this episode, your snap judgments from the weekend of sport, including the looming suspension for Sam Palpepper and the Saints' impressive match simulation. AFL record editor Ash Brown shared his thoughts. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock with Australia in New Zealand. The racing rap with Wayne Hawks. Blue Diamond winning trainer Clinton McDonald. And we reviewed the WWE's elimination chamber in Perth. You can get in touch at any time. Waitley at sen.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good morning. Your snap judgments from the weekend of sports. What did you take in? What fired the passions? one 736 and 0433981116. You've seen the match sims ahead of the AFL season. Now we're about to see the practice matches where much more will be learnt. But any hints, any trends, any insights? Any Saints fans? Australia had their way with New Zealand in the T20s as they progressed. Now for an intriguing test series. So all of those questions from the Gabba are about to be revisited. And we presume that will be on a green top in Wellington. The Melbourne Rebels. Now, this is a miserable existence. And it's now extended the on-field on a terrible opening. And what shapes as a torturous season. It's hard to live at the edge of extinction in a sporting context. If you're in that crowd at Amy Park on Friday night, I'd be super curious what the feeling was. The Matildas took the tension out of Olympic qualifying in Tashkent. Jordan Thompson produced epic feats of endurance to win the singles and the doubles at the ATP event in Los Cabos. And more than 52,000 fans made Rhea Ripley's homecoming an event to remember at the WWE's Elimination Chamber in Perth. And that's not all of it either. one 736 736 and 0433 Snap judgments for Snap Fitness. Snap Fitness for the feeling. I've got a couple on an AFL front to start. Port Adelaide's wrecking ball, Sam Palpepper. He got every part of his timing wrong in his collision with Adelaide's Mark Keane. If ever there was a week not to leave a player concussed in your wake, it was the bloodless match simulation against the backdrop of another high-profile retirement and pleas for more proactive measures of prevention. It's an awful blow for Keane as a starting point, disrupting his preparations for the season through contacts that he should never have been subjected to. It will prove a costly bump for Powell Pepper. It's just a matter of counting the weeks. And it gives the AFL a rolled gold case to set the base for careless bumping suspensions in 2024. It's worth just a, a quick revision here. Across recent seasons, we've seen this penalty progressively and appropriately rise. A wave of inflation went through the system when convention altered to great impact in the instance of concussion as severe. So that added a week in one pen stroke. From where we left off last year, I'd say the Power Pepper bump is a straight up and down three-week ban. But if the AFL has a mind to increase the deterrent, it will seek four weeks in this case and establish a greater penalty. I feel as though you, the constituency, are ready for this type of suspension to rise. It's one of those incidents, one of those rare ones, in which the AFL will get whatever penalty it seeks from its tribunal. So we'll learn a bit about the league's thinking in the hours ahead. You'll have your views. I think last year it would have been a straight up and down three. My feeling is the AFL will ask for and get four, and we, as the football public, will support that rise in penalty. 
As for what happened in matches, the team performance that caught my eye in the match sim was St Kilda. There was a summer survey conducted by the SEN digital team, 3,184 respondents. So more than Andy Lee and less than the Australian Bureau of Statistics, but a good sample, 3,184. They're asked to answer the question, which finalist would slide the furthest in 2024? And 46.5% nominated St Kilda as the team to fall furthest. The only other teams in double figures were Melbourne at 18.3% and Port Adelaide at 14.5%. So the Saints in a landslide to go on the landslide. Only 13% of those surveyed had St Kilda in their eight. They were ahead of only Fremantle and West Coast, Hawthorne, North Melbourne and Richmond. It's an interesting prejudice. Few expected St Kilda in the finals last year, yet they lived the entire season inside the eight. Now there's a prevailing view that they will regress to that expectation. That's not what I saw on Friday. That was a team on the improve, a team with speed from behind, intent on perpetual motion, a team with slick ball users off half back and multiple targets to aim at, a team with some size in the midfield and young players on an upward trajectory. Across the match, and we didn't see a whole lot of defensive intent. It seemed much more about ball use and offensive patterns. That wasn't the Saints. They maintained their defensive structure so that Essendon could never get behind them. Their anchor point was organised and effective. The Saints were the pick of the match, Sim. It was an excellent February hitout. And by comparison with a year ago, Ross Lyons' team was so much more advanced near in the end of a second preseason. So when you factor all of that in, I don't see how they would be the team to slide as almost half the football world is predicting. One three hundred seven three six seven three six for some snap judgments and oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Oh, I see Carlton hooked another celebrity. This is a quite the mission, isn't it? So Pink's boy Jamison joined the ranks of Tom Brady, Scotty Pippen, and Robbie Williams in accepting the navy blue Guernsey and parading it publicly. By this measure, the Blues have been determined and successful, and one imagines they are staking out Travis Kelsey wherever he moves in Sydney right now. On a cricket front, snap judgments. After the first Chapel-Hadley thriller, Australia's bowling was far too much for New Zealand thereafter. Stark, Hazelwood, Cummins, add in Nathan Ellis and Spencer Johnson. And Adam Zampa, it was good to see him reassert himself after he'd gone for plenty in the previous four games against both the West Indies and New Zealand. The batters couldn't lay a glove on the Aussies in Auckland. So this is a World Cup Cup year and thus performances hold added significance. It's, It's why the failure of Steve Smith at the top is reverberating. At the start of the last T20 World Cup, you'll recall Australia was ready to move past Smith in the shortest form of the game. They left him out at the SCG against New Zealand in favour of the specialist hitters. It was a popular strategy at the time, but the team looked all wrong without him. And that was a failed campaign. Now that is all about to be revisited. The powerhouse batting lineup looks better equipped, particularly with Tim David looking more settled at international level. The opening partnership in the West Indies later this year will be Travis Head and Dave Warner, unless injury strikes. And Mitch Marsh has nailed down three. He should be the captain of that campaign. You can see, you can see and feel the desperation in Smith. He's often been able to adapt to the circus hitting. And he did that spectacularly a couple of BBLs ago, but it's not his natural state. And he was trying a bit of everything on Friday and Sunday, and it got him nowhere. If Smith isn't in the lineup, 
is he a necessary insurance policy? So the insurance policy idea worked so well for Australia in the 50-over World Cup where they had both Smith and Labuschagne and they won the final as a result of it. But are we about to look at an Australian squad where there is no Steve Smith? So that was sacrilege once not too long ago, but maybe it's an increasing reality as we head toward the middle of this year. And Smith will remain an intense focus later this week in Wellington as he continues his opening duties at test level. We haven't played a test series across the ditch in eight years. Australia has a dominant long-term record over the Kiwis. It's guaranteed to be a green top. I think we'll probably laugh as to whether we can identify the pitch when we get our first look at the square in Wellington. So it'll be a substantial challenge for the refurbished top order. That's a conversation that picks up where we left off at the Gabba. But those conditions will also suit Australia's formidable pace attack. And I must confess, watching the T20s when New Zealand couldn't lay a glove on Australia, I started to fret for them a little in what's about to transpire in the Test Series. If the T20s are anything to go by, the Black Caps have an awful lot to absorb at the hands of Australia's pace attack. They might be rapid fire test matches. A few of my snap judgments to add into yours. one 736 736 at 0433 98 11 16. Snap judgments for Snap Fitness. Snap Fitness has you covered. Visit your local Snap Fitness to find out more. Snapfitness.com.au. Matt in North Adelaide to get us underway with our snap judgments. Welcome to you, Matt. Morning, Jared. Um, it's not why I rang up, but just on that, I'm more intrigued now to watch uh, how Smith's going to combat the hooping ball of Siavi and Bolt. Mm. Um, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. But my uh, judgments uh, in order over the weekend, the first one was Matthew Wade's catch. That was incredible. Yes. I was, sit- I was sitting there on my couch, and when he took took that, I just stood up and go, that's what we do. Australians take catches. And, um, yeah, that set the weekend for me. Second one was, as a proud South Australian, Hearing Rhea Ripley announced from Adelaide, South Australia, in the main event of a legitimate WWE pay-per-view, the first one in Australia, uh, that made me really proud, and I thought that was an absolutely incredible uh, moment, not just for Australian history, but obviously for um, you know uh, Australians in WWE. So that was excellent. And the final one, as a Liverpool fan, I'm so proud of what we did this morning. We've got so many injuries. We've got a plethora of young kids coming through, um, and to win that cup... Against a overpriced Chelsea squad was excellent, and Jurgen Klopp's leaving the club in a wonderful state. And yeah, hopefully Liverpool supporters are enjoying uh, what we've got right now. Cause it's uh, simply amazing to have lived through this. So yeah, they're my judgments, Jared. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful last lap, isn't it, at Liverpool right now? It's got all the right markers happening. Oh, it's 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 fantastic, and um, it was a bit emotional. When we heard about Jurgen originally, um, but now we're just enjoying the ride and. Um, yeah, it, it's really, really cool to be a part of as a fan. Matt, thank you for your snap judgments. Pete's in North Ball, and what have you got for us, Pete? Okay, Jared, we've got a quick speed blanket uh, snap judgment. Uh, give Power Pepper five, one for stupidity. That way they all know where they're standing. Uh, Spencer Johnson, the most exciting prospect in 2020. Over, it pains me to say it over Fraser McGurk or Hint. Um, Saints will slide because they'll just continue to doing Saints things until they can get at least another two or three years. And unfortunately, my Red Devils are finding ways to lose like Alex Ferguson will be rolling in his grave many years to come. (laughs) Pete, that's a nice suite of snap judgments for us. Good on you. Matt's in Perth. Matt, Matt, welcome aboard. 
Yeah, morning, Jared. I was uh, I was there on Sunday night at the WWE, and uh, I tell you what, I've seen a lot of clips lately of some teenage girls going mad crazy at uh, Taylor Swift. Well, the teenage boys got their chance to uh, go mad crazy at the WWE. <laughs> yes. Um, when uh, I saw some of the kids having the best time of their life, and you know that'll sit with them for for years to come. Uh, I think, yeah, the best bit of the night for me was when Cody Rhodes came out. Um, that was, yeah, fantastic. So 52,000, how did it play in the stadium? What was the energy like? It was it was unreal, Jared. I'd, I sat in the uh, Bank West section uh, where the uh, sports lounge usually is at the footy and the cricket, and you looked around the stadium and there wasn't one seat left in the, in the stands. Um, the atmosphere and the build-up in the cam field beforehand was like grand final day. Yep, yep. And did the show deliver to your hopes? Um, yeah, look, the outcome might be predetermined, but, yeah, these these are, uh, yeah, well-talented athletes, and, yeah, I certainly enjoyed it anyway. Good on you. Matt, thanks for sharing that with us from inside the stadium in Perth. Uh, it did look rather spectacular. Snap judgment, Jared. You'll never see a better atmosphere of a sporting game than you will at Leeds United win over Leicester this weekend. Just watch the highlights from 79 minutes on. Amazing. And for what it's worth, the Saints looked great. That's Pete from Glen Iris. Pow Pepper at least five weeks. From Brett. Yeah, go on, Victorians. Crucify Sam Pow Pepper. Hurry up. Get on with it. Uh, go on. Give him six weeks. Go on, hurry up, get it out of the way, get your pitchforks out, Victorian Hicks. Good on you, Brett. What a worthwhile contribution to make first up on a Monday. AFL inflation on the bump, Jared, except in September when it doesn't exist. Hard not to be cynical. Jared, the dogs beat the Hawks in a canter and looked what they had played in this and looked like they'd played in the second game. The talk about Riley Sanders is real. Yes, Jared. we long-term Saints members have the same prejudice about our club until we win a flag. That's the impact of a generation of failure, and that's from Boris. Saint recruitment of Liam Henry will play great dividends. Ross, the boss. Jared, North Ball, North Ball, North Ball, something for us to get excited about. Sure, it will get exposed at some points, but better to go down swinging rather than watching us lose by kicking seven, seven or eight goals. I'm a believer. It gives us hope. J-Dog. Carlton have historic form on celebrity recruiting. Going way back to Saturday, the 5th of March, 1977, when they somehow managed to deck out the better halves of ABBA, Agnetha and Frida in dark navy blue Guernseys. Laugh out loud. It's excellent. And the footy landscape will never quite be the same after the retirement of the could have been champions after 40 plus years Thank you for all the clever laughs, couldas. That's from Sally. I got a couple of lovely emails on that front as well. John's in Mill Park with a snap judgment. Welcome to you, John. Good morning, Jerry. I hope you're well. Right. Um, I just, I get, I get uh, that caller or that sorry, the, the text message that you read. I mean, I sometimes think that players like Pal Pepper, and he's not alone. They tend to think that. It's the way to go by impressing your crowd and your supporter base by being tough and hitting someone in the head with a bump. Now, obviously, he didn't mean to hit him in the head. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's the case. But he has. And unfortunately, he deserves the wrath of the, 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 the tribunal. And if it's not four, it'll have to be five. I mean, 
barring injuries, they're going to be so hard to beat in a T20. That batting line-up bats down to below anything else. And I don't see another, uh, another T20 team that's got the power hitters that Australia has. They're, they're well decked out at the moment for this. Now, they're coming off a taunt. They're, they were the defending champions. They're on home soil, and they didn't make the semifinals. So it didn't gel at all, but it feels like there's been a lot of progress made since then, John. So we'll talk to Crash about all the cricket topics, including the makeup of that T20 squad and, and how that team is coming together. But they are formidable. I, I, I agree with you, John. And, Jared, I went to pink on Saturday night. There's not a chance Taylor Swift was a better concert. The Queen of Pop still holds her title. Oh, she knows how to put on a show. Let's sneak one more snap judgment in, just and then we'll filter them as we go. Collins in Hoppers Crossing on the Saints. Hello, Colin. Good morning, Jared. I thought I'd give you a call being Captain's Day, being you're the captain of SEM by the look of it now. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, I think I, I wouldn't be, I don't want them to, but I'm a Saints supporter, but if they do slide a bit and play all the young guys I did last year, sometimes going backwards to go forwards isn't the worst thing in the world. I don't think we're ready to win a grand final at this stage. So I think the next couple of years, though, and Darcy Wilson and guys like that, you know, he looks like a future captain, that kid. He's got something about him. He's, um, I watched him at training, too. He's really a leader already. So I can see a bright future, but next year I wouldn't be too concerned. All right, Colin, you're playing the long game. They don't like, look like a team on the slide to me. Um, they were the pick of the match sims, just for the little things that we're looking for there. So we'll get a better idea over the next week with the proper practice matches. Colin, thank you. So more of your snap judgments as we go. We're just going to delve a little into the AFL's stance on the concussions and suspensions and what we will learn later in the day on that front when the Pow Pepper suspension comes down. And the, the racing was exceptional on the weekend as well. So that'll get a Guernsey on our way to crash as well. Scholl goes backwards to Keane. The ball didn't sit for him. He lost the footy. Went back and got it again. Keane cleaned up by Pow Pepper. Throwing his weight around. Is in a bit of trouble, Keane? I'll get you to keep an eye on that, Tom. Yeah, it looks like Mark Keane still sucking him in behind play. Generally, if you get hit by Sam Pepper, that can be the case. And it was concussion in the aftermath. That's how it was captured in the commentary of the match sim. Sam Pepper has got everything wrong here. His timing was disastrous first for Mark Keane and now for himself. Ash Brown is in the studio. He's the editor of the AFL Records. He's here for Jamison Whiskey. Uh, Ash, welcome. Jared, hello. So we were together at an AFL briefing on Friday, which went to pains to step through concussion on two different fronts, one being the punitive front. And Power Pepper's just volunteered to be the rolled gold case study for 2024. Exhibit A, A plus, one, one, whatever you want to call them, Jared. Yeah, they went through step by step how it's assessed and the punitive side of things. I think he's going to be highly scrutinised. He'll be, I mean... It would be, I think it'd be three three games, whether that includes this week. I don't know how that works. But, yeah, not a great look to do that. I mean, the football world is in almost in mourning over Angus Brayshaw for a lot of reasons. And for this to happen in the, the shadow of that, uh, terrible timing. Unfortunate for Mark Hayne, of course, but terrible timing for Sam Pepper. So I think we sort of look to the AFL to see what their attitude is going to be. I feel like last year where we left off, this is just straight up and down three and wouldn't be, wouldn't even go to the tribunal. I'll be surprised if this doesn't get graded as 
the three plus and go to the tribunal with the AFL asking for a four week suspension because I think they will raise the floor. Yeah, well, the, the new guidelines you can, you can recommend three and and take it. Three used to be three, but you'd go to the tribunal. Yeah, I, I think they'll take this to the tribunal and they'll see what they can do with it as a wants to send a message and to set some parameters ahead of and some precedent ahead of the the, the home and away season. So. Yeah, not great timing for for him, but uh, a really important. I, I would think with these new guidelines and Laura Kane and her team mean business. We were at that brief the other day. Um, they want to set some parameters, so they'll they'll see what they can do and and, and send a message early. I think. Yeah, the the rolled gold case study from a match sim of all things. It's not even the practice match. Is from the formalised match simulation. Yeah, we get a lot of feedback as you have about these games. <laughs> they're they're. These are games that clubs have requested to play because they said that they went to the club and said, you tell us how the pre-season should work. And they came up with this one, these games that start tomorrow, the Collingwood Richmond Charity Shield game, those four or, four or five days of games. But they wanted one more game. So we sort of need that second hit out. Now by demand, the AFL would be, and the clubs would be happy for these to be played behind closed doors with no cameras. But such is a demand that they, they might as well get a camera out going and, and show it and we, we sort of get the KO commentary. So they're sort of given half the, the half official. But once you've got AFL umpires involved, then the AFL's obliged that the rules of the game apply in, in every shape or form, which is why this is going to go to the tribunal. And, and the rules must apply, as you of couldn't course. have an incident like this transpire without there being a, uh, a mechanism to deal with it adequately. No, that, that's right. They, ha- they have to apply. Um, yeah, uh, I, I just think... Um, it's an early start to this whole this weekly uh, MROs. So we're waiting this afternoon, won't we? Like we do. Uh, they promised at five o'clock. I think they said something like a five o'clock delivery. They're not going to try and keep us waiting too much longer. So yep. let's wait for five o'clock, and we'll we'll hear it all. What did you think of St Kilda? They were impressive. Um, they're so well coached. I mean, the coaching got them to as far as it did last year, and then I think in the end, talent. They they reached their level. And they were they were well beaten by the Giants in that final at the MCG, but. They've, they need a speed, and they've got speed. And the two players, Henry was an inspired choice out of Fremantle, and then uh, Will, uh, Ethan Wilson, a, a speedy outside midfielder, he's thrown down his, uh, his uh, marker for round one as well. So super impressive. I mean, I look at these games, I don't know what you think, Jared. Is there a strong home ground advantage for a team like Secure to be playing at Moorabbin as it was for the Bulldogs to be playing at Witten Oval? Does that come into play? A couple of times in the commentary, I noticed um, uh, Max King would kick a goal and say, oh, I judged it beautifully. So I suspect there's an advantage, which probably helps the killer to a degree, but they, they look sharp for this time of year. Did you have any concerns over Essendon? Well, I didn't rate them entirely. I mean, I think they're a, they're, they're a bottom six to eight team and nothing really changes. But uh, it throws out that, I mean, they were ordinary. Hawthorne ordinary, and both sets of supporters so much to be riding on that round one game. I mean, it'll be devastation for the t- the supporter base for the t- team that loses, and I suspect Hawthorne will lose. There'll be absolute devastation for the supporter bases because there's there's hope there, but neither side gave their fans much to hope about in round one. That game actually, Secure played Essendon last year at uh, Moorabbin. I was talking to Ross off air about this. I went to that game. It was one of the worst games. It was very windy. It was one of the worst football matches I've ever had this fortune to sit through. But uh, so they go back and do it 12 months later and, and this time around St Kilda, far more impressive. And the Bulldogs, did you, what were your notes there? Uh, by Riley Sanders stock, Jared. <laughs> he just looked very accomplished. I mean, even against, in the first part of the game, where he was against some decent Hawthorne midfielders, he just looked like he was the best midfielder out there. 
It was a funny game, that one, because the Dogs saved Trelaw and Bontempelli for the second game against Box Hill, which I think they won. I saw something that there was an 80-point margin in that game. Um, so you can't really tell, but he, he's round one ready. You know, there, there was a lot of talk about him already, and suddenly, you know, even the Rising Star sort of judges are sort of throwing into calculations straight away, but he looked really comfortable at the level. So that's the thing that excited me most about the Dogs. Yes, there's good excitement on the text front as well. So th- now we get to the... <laughs> The, the real practice, don't we, tomorrow <laughs> night with Richmond and Collingwood. We've got degrees of practice matches, but th- this is uh, this is dress rehearsal time from tomorrow night. Yeah, and again, because the clubs want it this way, these are – when we used to have the two or three games, you'd, you'd never get a really clear picture of the team because teams would play the two players over three games. But they'll play – these are dress rehearsals tomorrow night and from tomorrow night. They'll, line, they'll, they'll pick their best teams. There'll be quality minutes in the midfield for the for the key midfielders. The forward setups should and defensive setups should be as the coaches like it. Um, so we'll learn a lot more, I think, out of these games starting tomorrow night than uh, we did. And you pick up glimpses, and you know, the, the track watchers will have seen stuff last weekend that confirmed what they've been watching in the match sims and training. But for the rest of us, we'll start to, uh, to learn a lot more tomorrow night. Good to see you, Ash. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Jared. Editor of the AFL Record, Ash Brown, for Jamison Whiskey, triple distilled, twice as smooth, one of a kind. 1-300-736-736. Your snap judgments and the 40 Winks temper text 0433-981116. Temper, a mattress like no other. Here's Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Right, some of your snap judgments on a footy front. St Kilda pre-season is like beginning a golf game. You start with absolute enthusiasm and hope. And then after three holes, you realise you don't have the talent to finish off. That's very pessimistic. They don't look like a team that's going to slide to me. Saints look good, but was that help I had how bad Essendon were? They are in real trouble and we'll finish in the bottom four. Brandon's in Beaufort. Repow Pepper nowadays, snipers should have gone the way of the dinosaurs. That's from Anton. With Pal Pepper, you clearly don't consider Rioli had any contrib- contribution to the keen Pal Pepper collision. I do understand the concussion rule, but I think this one is an accident. Pal Pepper has to be allowed to instinctively protect himself. Can you, this is from Jasper, can you please let us know any plausible reason to retain the bump? Surely its time is now up. Cam and Churnside. Park does opening round classify as one of the matches for Pal Pepper? No, I suspect that's tongue in cheek. No, I haven't been as excited about a draft since Marcus Bontempelli. Riley Sanders looks as though he could be anything. The high socks, the calm temperament under pressure, and the deft touch. He excites me immensely and will make the possible departure of Bailey Smith hurt a lot less. Uh, Love the fa- love the running fast Saints. Loved Liam Henry. That's Kathy from Keelor. Saints are an absolute lock for finals. This team is powerful and added strength in places of weaknesses. And then to stretch a little bit further, Cam, a racing snap judgment. Mr. Brightside does what he does best. And J-Mac, what a ride on Romantic Warrior, the best jockey in the world by far. Just wanted to make mention of the three-peats in the Marsh Cup by Western Australia yesterday in a season that had they had to use 20 players due to higher honours and injury. It made me incredibly proud. That's from Dave in Bunbury. And Tony, Tony WWE created a tidal wave of energy and pulsating excitement and visual extravaganza. Just like Tay-Tay and Pink aren't for everyone, WWE is the same, but they all have global pull 
and mega popularity. Your snap judgments this Monday, 0433 98 11 16 40 winks temper text, temper a mattress like no other. And you can call 1300 736 736. Robert Craddock with all his thoughts around the cricket, the wisdom and experience of Crash coming up at 10. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Lady of Camelot at the 200 metres in front, getting a little bit weary. Koryanagi stay focused. And Hayasugi, the filly, is flying home. Lady of Camelot, Hayasugi's got it. Hayasugi's won it. Hayasugi from Lady of Camelot, Koryanagi. Hayasugi's thrilling win in the Blue Diamond on Saturday. This rippled with sentiments for a, a family who have lived... The great deeds of racing through the Blue Diamond now through three generations. The trainer is Clinton McDonald's. Clinton, congratulations. It's great to have you on SEN. Yeah, thanks, Jared. Thanks for having us. What sort of thrill was that for you? <clears throat> oh, it was a great thrill. Great thrill for the family and uh, for all the staff and uh, for my daughter. That's a sort of first group one being involved in the stable. And, uh, yeah, it was just a great thrill all around. So uh, she's a great filly and... Uh, She's got that tenacity and she just wants to find the line. And, um, yeah, it was a great thrill. Get the adrenaline pumping when she started to storm home? Yeah, well, coming to the turn, I thought, you know, she's in it because uh, I know what she can do. And uh, when she sort of had the momentum coming into the bend, I thought, yeah, she's going to be hard to hold out. And uh, she's a good heart starter and she, she doesn't <laughs> like winning by a margin. But um, anyway, she keeps getting the job done and, and that's all she can do. So the, the story of the, the family heritage here, born hoister, Ross McDonald, Clinton McDonald, grandfather, uh, father and son and grandson. Um, had you thought about the family history in the Blue Diamond going in? Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things that you'd like to uh, be able to sort of achieve what the rest of the family have. So now we've got one more to do it and uh, the window slipper. And I think they'll only be the sixth horse to do it. So I think she profiles right for a race like that. And, uh, you know, we're excited. I can tell you she's pulled up unbelievable. You wouldn't even know she's had a run. Ate up over the weekend and uh, she was under saddle this morning and she doesn't even look like she's had a run. So she still looks fantastic. And uh, I think she'll go there. I think she's a, a really live hope <clears throat> in a good race, you know. Yeah, yeah. So the lovely diamonds and slippers right through the family. What do you remember of the, the courts a year with your dad? I remember courts. Uh, I remember dad had a party race morning to celebrate because that's what my grandfather did. So we might have to keep with the tradition <laughs> and have a party on slipper morning. Uh, and and you would have known the stories well of Manicado through the family? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, that was a great story. So... Uh, my grandfather was a bit of a madman back in the day and he loved to have a bet. And uh, They tell me that he just didn't stop backing until they jumped. So um, hopefully we can uh, do the same. So you've had so many experiences, Clinton, through all of the years. Was that right up there with, with what with the thrills that you've had? Yeah, most definitely. I've never gone to the race so confident with a horse um, because she's just had a faultless preparation and she just keeps improving. And I know where she's fitness-wise. Um, so... I just thought she was a crazy price. Um, I thought, surely. I, I sort of watched all the races, watched all the opposition races, and I just thought she had the right preparation going into it. She'd been in a big field, high pressure, been bumped around and still found the line where a lot of those favourite horses have been in smaller fields. So I was just super confident. Uh, she presented really well in the yard, and, yeah, that was wrapped. So um, it was a great thrill. It was a great thrill to do it with your family. It absolutely would be. Jamie Carr's involvement here. So this is the long road back from injury for Jamie. So a, a tremendous moment for her as well. Yeah, definitely. She's a she's a beautiful rider. And all I said to Jamie was, uh, you know, I'm not going to take down with instructions. I just ride by feel. 
and uh, that's what she did. So, um, you know, when she rides like that, Jamie, that's when she's at her best. What's the trick to these two-year-olds, Clinton? Is so many have aspirations and so many uh, don't make it to these races, let alone prevail in them. What, what's the, the secret to training a two-year-old at this time of year? Well, it just all comes down to the horse, really, Jared. Uh, she's a filly, as I said. She's had a faultless preparation. She cops everything that you throw at her. And, you know, people sort of question me going to the preview and the prelude. That is what Dad said, uh, used to say to me. He said, they're not going to cop uh, doing that type of race, and they're not going to win the big one. And, uh, you know, she'll go straight to the slipper now at her fourth run. And, um, you know, I think she's had a great preparation, and, and it leads all to the slipper. Terrific stuff. It's great of you to share it with us, Clinton. Well done. It's a magnificent family legacy to be able to recount. So congratulations for further for being part of it and furthering it. Good luck in the slipper. No worries. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Good on you. Clinton McDonald there, the trainer of Heisugi. So Manikato, Korza, they both did the they both did the double, and now Heisugi will try to do the same. The blue diamond and the golden slipper. There's something in it, isn't there? Bond hoisted. Ross McDonald and now Clinton McDonald on that honour roll for the Blue Diamond. one three hundred seven three six seven three six to share your snap judgments ahead of crash this Monday and 0433981116. Jared, what's with the delirium around St Kilda, including you, February Premiers? I'm 56 and can't see them adding to their rich history of a single premiership by a single point in my lifetime. I'm sure there are other pre-seasons where they have looked impressive, John from Bourne. I didn't come on declaring them Premiers, John. My observation was that 46 points... Uh, 5% of people were tipping St Kilda as the slider. Uh, they don't look like a team on the slide to me, which is a far cry from declaring them as February premiers. They look like a team on the improve, a team with speed from behind and intent on perpetual motion. That was really striking. Slick ball users off halfback. I feel like more and more that's going to be the game in 2024. Multiple targets to aim at. They had some better size in the midfield. They've got young players on an upward trajectory and their defensive structure, which we know under Ross Lyon was so dependable last year, best four defences, what were they, 15th for scoring? They look like a team who will be far better than 15th for scoring. So my only observation on that front is while half the football world's expect them to be the big slider, they don't look like a team on the slide to me. But that's what snap judgments are for. No one's declaring them February premiers, John. 0433 98 11 16 1300 736 736 in amongst the snap judgments. Monday snap judgments before the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock in a week that we'll see test cricket in New Zealand. Australia there for the first time in eight years come Thursday at Wellington. We'll have the full call for you. Darren's in Doreen. Hello to you, Darren. Uh, yeah, not in Doreen. Darren's in Perth. Uh, for the wrestling. How did it go? Uh, it was- Oh, it was a great night, yeah. Um, yeah, with Rhea winning the title, well, keeping the title, the fireworks, just the whole show, do you know what I mean? It was just great. Every, every match, like, was full on. I mean, mate, Dirty Dom, give it to the crowd. I was loving it. Yeah, I was the only one uh, going for poor Dirty. Everyone hates him. <laughs> uh, and then, and then the, uh, they ended up walking past us and everything. It was great. Um but yeah, the whole the whole thing, mate. The you know the build up, the TV presser before it, we burnt in the thirty eight degrees. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, and then the next day, of course, to have it, and you know the lineup for the superstore, just everything. Just they've they've done really well over here for the whole thing. For you know my son and I, and then we're flying back home t- tonight. 
But the whole thing, yeah, it's just the fireworks. They they really know how to put it on like a big big show. Of course, you didn't have your you know your rock and everything come, but it is what it is. You just got to take it, love it, and just enjoy it. It's just great. Had you been know. had you been to either of the big ones at uh, at Marvel or the MCG, Darren? Mate, been to both because yep. I'm 47 years old and made my son love the WWE more than me now. Yeah, so. The one, yeah, Marvel, that that was great. With well, like, that, but we had Triple H, The Rock, and uh, oh, what was his name? Freaking the other big bloke at that one, and um, the one at the uh, MCG, yeah, that was really really good. But like anything, because that one's this one's so raw in our mind, it's, it feels like it's just they outdone themselves this time. And yep. Hopefully, with everything that. Everyone turned up, like, and we try to get bigger shows, you know, every year here, not just once every six years. That's where it'll be great. Yeah, it felt like a big one to get the pay-per-view on the way to WrestleMania. Good on you, Darren. Lovely of you to share your experiences. It's great when you enjoy a variety of things. Got to enjoy Taylor Swift last weekend at the MCG Pink Friday night and watch the WWE Saturday night on TV. Great couple of weeks in amongst your snap judgments. And let's get Alex in Melton in before we close off the hour. Welcome, Alex. Morning, Jared. Yeah, just a quick one. Jake Fraser McGurk was touted as the next big thing. They call him in for the squad at the uh, the last 2020 game against Windies. West Indies didn't play. You'd think he would have been in the squad in New Zealand, but then they bring Smith in, who might not even be a walk-up start to the World Cup, and didn't, get, didn't give him a chance to, 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 to show what he can do. So they've actually... They gave him exposure in the 50-over game, but didn't put him in the T20 team because he's not... I just don't think he's in the World Cup reckoning come June. He's a, such a natural T20 player, Alex. So I feel like that will be one of the first steps beyond this World Cup. So when Warner is retired for good, but if you narrow 15 players down, I can't see Fraser McGurk in that T20 side. Uh, and I do think what they did, that gave, they gave him international exposure to broaden his horizons. They give him a taste in the 50 overs, but they did it without disrupting the T20. So I understand the methodology is if they were serious about putting him into the June squad, uh, he would have been part of this trip to New Zealand. But his time will be the other side of Dave Warner. And if he can get his game internationally in order, maybe he'll get the first bite of the opening partnership with Travis Head. Once you start to run that, where's the place for Steve Smith? Where once it was sacrilege, it just doesn't look like there's a place for him in that squad. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on that front, coming up next. Australia's tour of New Zealand. The first step was the white ball, the T20s, the Chapel Hadley Trophy. It got off to a thrilling start, which we spoke about at length last week. And then Australia, the bowling was just too much for New Zealand to deal with in the next two games. So a 3-0 result on that front. Wrapped up yesterday in what became a 10-over affair because of the weather in Auckland. Last ball of the game. Chapman swings, misses, so too does Wade, and the ball goes down to the boundary for four runs. Australia defending it, Duckworth Lewis, stern target of 126 off 10 overs, reducing New Zealand to 98 
for the loss of three of them. Our bowlers were unbelievable today, the way they came out and executed. It's as clinical a bowling performance as I've seen in, in an Australian outfit. So uh, everyone knows the World Cup's coming up and um, we wanted to have a look at some depth in our squad. Um, we are lucky enough to do that with Spencer today and Matty Short. Um, yeah, we've got a really deep batting line-up and out, you know, we've got some nice bowlers as well. So to see Nathan Ellis come in every time he gets an opportunity, he, he does a good job for us as well. So, yeah, it's just about having a look at some guys when we look forward to picking that um, 15 for the World Cup and um, it's nice to see some depth. A chance to review what happened in the T20s before we set sail for the Test Series on Thursday. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on a Monday. Hello to you, Crash. G'day, Jared. It's, uh, everything's happening this week, isn't it? Footy, cricket, Vegas, Vegas. is coming up. Uh, we're going to spend oh. some time on Vegas week and get the feel from you shortly. Uh, just a, a look back first at the T20s, if you would. So a thriller on Wednesday, and then Australia's bowling was just way too much for New Zealand in those last two games. It was, and sometimes we take it for granted, and also our depth. Like, in last night's game, rain-shortened game, when the batsmen were all set to go biff-bang-whack, Spencer Johnson, you know, two overs, one for 10. Nathan Ellis, two overs, none for 11. I mean, sadly for me, only one of those two will go to the Caribbean for the World Cup in June. I think Ellis will probably get there, and he's a great story. Came through the hard way. Sydney fellow had to go to Tassie, and, uh, you know, we were we always tell the story about him, you know, one stage selling door-to-door tickets for the Wildlife Association <laughs> to raise money. And, and these are gorgeous stories, Jared. It's lovely to see someone like that can just stick at it and get there. Uh, we, we, there's so many come through like that in India, whereas, you know, we've got our own story like that. So it's wonderful. But... As you say, the quality of bowling, something goes through New Zealand's head when they play Australia. That that incredible statistic, which will be spotlighted this week, one win out of 31 tests against Australia, New Zealand. Their last 31 tests, one win. Think of that. I mean, you transfer it, Jared, to a football scenario. Is there any club that has that record against any other club? I don't think so. No, no. It's the it's the Serena Williams-Maria Sharapova rivalry, which was not a rivalry as Sharapova was felt intimidated by Serena Williams and that got shockingly lopsided. Do you think there's something in the the big brother, little brother psyche that plays out? Absolutely. And um, I had a long chat to Ken Rutherford, the former New Zealand captain who works in Brisbane now as the boss of the Albion Park Trots where he's doing a great job. And he was saying, look, it, it's you almost need to be written off against Australia. He said it's almost when they're no chance, they become a chance. And, and a similar to narrative to it used to be with Queensland, the state of origin against New South Wales. They used to love being written off. But I remember <clears throat> on the last tour of Australia about five years ago, and we were doing, you and I were doing uh, Cricket 360 after stumps, and <laughs> we talked up the Kiwis. And <laughs> Rutherford said he was sitting at home watching that in New Zealand thinking, I know exactly what's going to happen here. Australia win 3-0 because we think we're a chance. Yep. And, and that happened. So, uh, But in a two-test series, it'll probably be a green deck in Wellington. You know, I mean... You just feel like saying, are you guys going to fire up at any point? <laughs> that, that's So the idea of the green deck, uh, which will uh, – that that's um, New Zealand's best chance notionally is to get after this refurbished top order, isn't it? And an unsettled Australia with a swinging ball on the green top. But then you run the other side of it and give Australia's bowling attack that same green top and good luck. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and that's the conundrum for them. You know, they, they do love, they do fancy their chances. I mean, 
Tim Southey, if he's going to keep bowling at 127 kilometres an hour as he enters his final seasons, well, he has to have assistance from the wicket. He really does. And uh, then you've got a 37-year-old Neil Wagner who roughed up Steve Smith, remember, with persistent short balls on that tour five years ago. Now, he's still around. He may try that again, although... Uh, the reason Smith, one of the reasons why he opened the batting is to get away from that sort of tactic because bowlers pitch the ball up with a new ball. So I'm fascinated to see what happens Wagner v Smith because when Smith was absolutely imperious and untouchable, Wagner stopped him and he hasn't been quite the same since because other nations have copied that a bit. They bowled short to Smith and uh, Smith's place in the World Cup T20 is really hanging by a thread now after his failure yesterday. Jared, I can't help thinking that, you know, the way he plays the game, the game sort of moved past that a little bit. So at the start of the last World Cup campaign, Australia was ready to move past Smith. The team, it didn't look balanced without him. Uh, and then he had that little resurgence in the BBL, didn't he? Post a, a test summer a couple of years ago when he went back and opened uh, and... It was it was an incredible couple of innings, which sort of relit the fire. But he, you just watched him, and he knows is he hasn't been in this position terribly often, has he? He's auditioning for a place, and in those two knocks on Friday and Sunday, he was he was trying everything. He was trying to be unconventional and imaginative and to roll out the circus shots. But it's just not him, is it? No, he's a nerdler and he's a placement guy. And he's the, you know, he, he's not the, the, the guy who's going to hit a ball from Hobart to Launceston, is he? And, you know, the game's been hijacked by those sorts of players. I absolutely love having experienced players in a World Cup because we've said so often, and it came true again yep. in, in the last World Cup Australia one, heavy-duty players win heavy-duty tournaments. So I'm contradicting my own theory here by tipping Smith to probably miss out. But here's the reasoning, Jared. Like, the average age of that 2020 team, would it be 32? Like, uh, Josh Inglis is under under 30, but barely anyone else is. So you've got experience. You know, Stoyness, Maxwell, Marsh, um, Warner in there as well. Travis Head. I mean, that is a rock-solid experience top order. So it doesn't so much need Smith's guiding hand. And since the year 2020, he, his strike rate in international T20s is 116. Well, Travis Head and these guys, they're floating up towards 160. So I just... You know, it's Smith or Matt Short for me. When you do all the sums and you pull them different ways, you say, well, take this bloke, that bloke, it comes down to one last spot and it's Smith or Matt Short. And, and you know, they, Short can open the bowling. He's a power hitter. He was very good yesterday. He is a future player as well. So, yeah, I, I, I you know, they may stick with Smith, but I reckon he's more out than in at the moment. Your thoughts, Jared? Yeah, I, I feel the same way is... And they have prescribed, haven't they, that it's opening or there's nowhere. And I just can't see, unless there was injury to Warner or Head, um, and then I'm not sure that it's Smith who's the next one in. But you can you can pretty well forecast that team from this far. As it's only June um, that the tournament's played. And, and Warner and Head are clearly going to open and Marsh is going to bat three. And then 
and then you've got the power hitters thereafter. Is there, There's not many variables, I don't think, in that setup. And the game's changed a bit, I think, Jared. Like, there was a theory a few years ago where, you know, it's nice to have that hustler in there hustling around at a run a ball and, and, and just keeping the show ticking over. Now that sort of player is deemed as getting in the road. You know, yes, so yeah. because you want power, 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 and you say, we will back ourselves here. You know, we will just go hard and go home. And so, you know, I, I that's that's why I think he's probably more out than in. They do love him. They like having him around. Um, and, you know, experience counts in the big games and all that. But, as I said, you know, you've sort of got experience. Pat Cummins will be one of the younger players in the team. He's the test captain. <laughs> so, uh yeah, so it's uh, an interesting choice ahead. Do you feel like Tim David is now bedded down as an international cricketer? Yeah, I do. He, he, uh, he He's an interesting character, isn't he? And I, I think he's the player who a lot of young kids are going to emulate. Um, I see it in the nets, Jared, and players like Jake Fraser McGurk, they're thinking big time, big hits, you know, big centuries. You can go places quickly as a T20 cricketer. You can see the world. You can have this 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 exotic life, which Tim David's got. I mean, I, I don't know how much... Tim's got a Cricket Australia contract. He's got a million-dollar contract with the IPL, so he'd be earning somewhere between 2 and $3 million a year, and he's never played a first-class game for yeah. Western Australia. He was overlooked in the system, he, and uh, he tried. He played a lot of second eleven cricket. He didn't just sort of storm off or, or you know, sulk or anything like that. But he redeveloped himself with this power game. And uh, um, Dan Churney wrote a nice story the other day about how he's driving three thirty metres on the golf course, and the boys say it's something to behold. <laughs> like it's that is. 330 metres, that's up there with the longest drivers on the PGA Tour. And it's this freakish swing he's got. But he, uh, it was that power game that brought Australia from back from nowhere in that first T20, wasn't it? And he doesn't panic. And the funny thing is, one of the guys noted it too, when it was over, there was no exotic celebration from Tim David. He shook a few hands and walked off as if to say, yeah, this is actually what I do, guys. I'm, I'm a finisher. Yep. You know, I, I hit hard. And, uh, you know, ev in everyone else's verdict, the target was out of reach, not in his, and he got it, and he just walked off as if to say, job done, next assignment, thanks. You know? Yeah. Incredible. So a couple of the questions around the, the T20. Are, are we expecting that Mitch Marsh captains that World Cup campaign? Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah, de definitely. He, he's been – they had a look at him. Um, you know, they, they weren't totally convinced he was the man. They always had Cummins waiting there. But I think they like the cut of his jib. How could they drop him now? Um, it, it's so close. And it's a, you know, he was Australian under-19 captain, wasn't he, all those years ago. Uh, so it's a, it's a nice sort of completing of the journey in some ways. Um, you wouldn't write him off to be a, a future test captain of Australia. Who knows? Uh, but... This is a big assignment for him. They always knew he had one great thing in his favour, Mitchell Marsh. Everyone likes him. As we've said so yeah. often, Jared, he's Switzerland. You know, he sits there in the middle order in the test team and the batsmen and the bowlers who always haven't got along for different reasons. Some do, some don't, whatever. But there's he and Travis Head, those two. It's just funny they're in between him in the middle order because they're literally in the middle of everything in the team. Everyone likes yes. No yeah. one takes offence at Mitchell Marsh. He's a really safe choice. And, and so 
Yeah, I think he'll be a you know he'll uh, he'll be captain for sure. Do you think Matthew Wade will be in the fifteen man squad as the backup keeper and potentially the backup leader if something goes wrong? Yeah, I, I tend to think that that he'll sneak in there and um, you know once again experience matters. Um, I, I do. Do you know what? I, I've got to say, I still feel sorry for Alex Carey in white ball cricket. Yep. You know, he didn't do a lot wrong, really. And, and he's still keeping well, particularly in the 50-over game. But I think Wade will probably go, and Inglis as well. And, um, uh, you know, Wade's... I, I just... You know, as a gloveman, uh, he's certainly, you know, not, not one of Australia's greatest glovemen, but... He's a good pressure player and he can get home, uh, get Australia home when it matters. In previous World Cups, he's done that and he might just have this one last yelp in him. For the Test Series, so we, we pick up where we left off in the Gabba. So there's a few things that come back into sharp focus and that's particularly Australia's top five. Um, is that the big question that sits over the Test Series? Yeah, it is. You know, And, and you have sort of sneaky form slumps like... I quite enjoyed Dan Cherney's story on, on Manus Labouchain's test averaging dropping by 10 uh, over the last couple of years. He's just not playing that well, Manus, at the moment. And, um, Jared, isn't it funny how luck always equals out in the end, doesn't it? Yes. Remember those stories from three years ago? Yeah. Manus Labouchain is the luckiest player in test cricket. He's been dropped this number of chances, uh, which is... Uh, five more than any other player in the game over the same period. And all these stories about how, you know, he was lucky, couldn't do anything wrong. And suddenly all the edges are finding second slip and first slip. And it's just... And and that factor alone, I'm telling you, that is largely responsible for a lot of the the dip in his average by 10 runs. But I also feel um, that because he's such a cricket junkie, and it's on his mind 24 hours a day, relentless tinkerer, perfectionist, and those guys carry a lot with them. You know, they're never happy because batting is a craft of a million theories and you could always find one rattling around in the back of your head when you're out of form, I think. And so he just... It carries a lot with him, Marnus, you know, forever tinkering and that, and not, not batting atrociously, and that's one of the reasons why he hasn't been spotlighted, but, yeah, he's been out of form for sure. The, the right decision was made with Cam Green to keep him in Australia for an extra shield round, and he made a century to pay that off. So to keep him out of the white ball setup, to let him play that extra shield game, to see if he could really bed down before he goes to New Zealand for this tricky assignment. So uh, full marks there is the, the prioritisation of a test series over the, the white ball stuff at least gives him a better chance maybe than the form he was in. Oh, yeah. And, and he's just one of those players, whenever he plays in shield cricket, he just looks a class above them, yeah. Jared. He comes in, he's never ruffled, he's never flustered, he never looks like getting out. He plays with such serenity. And you just sense that he will get there as a test cricketer. It's taking longer than they thought, I must say. Uh, but his averages are OK in tests. It's just that, as we said so often, all-rounders whether it's Richie Benno, whether it's Andrew Simons, whether it's Shane Watson, uh, they invariably take time. Not everyone's Gary Sobers and just comes in and goes bang. Or Jack, even Jack Callis took a little while uh, at first class level when he came in. But they generally, because they're working on both skills, it, it can take them a while. But, uh, you know, he's learning on the outer. He's learning at the moment. 
Our cricket updates for Henley paying $1,000 a month off home loans for two years. So we'll be there on Thursday in Wellington. It'll be my first experience of cricket in New Zealand. I can't wait to see it. I think we'll, the, the cliche is it'll be hard to look at the square and pick which pitch is going to be used. How often has Crash been to New Zealand? We'll tap his wisdom and experience in a few moments' time. Melbourne's weather, partly cloudy, a top of 21. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. Test cricket on the radio from Thursday morning. Robert Craddock, have you done the tour of New Zealand often? Uh, yeah, I've done a few from Jared. In fact, my favourite was always the first one because it was Shane Warne's first tour there, just before the Gadding Ball. And I remember seeing him at the airport and he said, I've had a terrific start to the tour. And I said, oh, what's happened? He said, I've left my passport at home. I stayed at Simone's <laughs> place last night and it's on the, beside the bed there. And he said, said so I'm no certain you've even joined the tour. But, uh, and, and Warren just lit up New Zealand, Jared, that tour. And I always remember I was ghosting a column for Sir Richard Hadley, the great seamer. And, and one day we sat down and he said, I've got the lead today. My lead today for the column is Dennis Lilly was my hero. I always said there's nothing that will ever compare in cricket to watching Dennis Lilly's run up, and and I, I I thought I would say that to the grave, but I found something better watching Shane Warne. He said, this young kid, he said, I just can't believe how good he is. He said it's just compelling. And remember, this was just before he was discovered, sort of thing on that by the Gatting Ball, which followed that tour, and Hadley was all over it. He just sort of said, this is. He said, I, I, it's the most compelling performance I've seen for many years. And, and he wasn't an emotional guy, Richard. He was very straight-laced. And I just it just stood out. And one other memory of where you're going, Jared, at Wellington, I remember uh, when they were shooting Lord of the Rings, Liv Tyler, uh, a famous Hollywood actress, daughter of Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith, she turned up at the Wellington ground. <laughs> and because the ground's so small and intimate... The whole ground was just talking. Players on the field were, I remember the Australians trying to point her out. Is she in that stand? Is that, <laughs> and it was just, it was it was if it was Taylor Swift. Yep. There you go. Yep. It, 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 it had that effect. And the test match for suddenly for an hour and a half didn't matter. It was fine Liv <laughs> Tyler, son, a daughter of Stephen Tyler. Now, the last time we were there, this was the Brendan McCullum farewell, wasn't it? And so Australia dominated those two test matches, but McCullum made that preposterous... 140-odd from 80 balls? Yeah, in his last test. Yes. And, and just, it was him saying, right, this is the way I've always wanted to play. I found it out late in my career, but I'm just free man now. I'm, I'm heading into retirement uh, and cop this Australia. And he just went off tap, didn't he? And, and he had that in him, McCullum. He was a very interesting player. And... You know, the, 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 the baseball creed, which he's passed on to England, has produced some just some of the best test cricket of this century. We may bag it and we may go, oh, well, you know, Adam Gilchrist did that. And yes, he, he, he was a baseballer before baseball. But as far as a collective philosophy, he's left a, an incredible imprint on the game. So let's move there to Ranchi, where day four is in prospect today. It was in England's favour when day three started... India was splendid. They bowled England out for 145. Uh, the spinners did their thing right from the start. Ashwin took five and Kuldeep took four and Jadeja one. So they had all 10 between them. And it was one of those agonising days for England. They just needed 
that they just needed 35 minutes where it wasn't happening and, and just to settle and, and they couldn't get that. And they've left a target of 192 and India is none for 40. So India are on the cusp of, of winning the series crash. Yeah, and gee, England have been good. I mean, they've taken a couple of kids as their spinners, Tom Hartley, Shahib Bashir, um, and, and, and who had no right to be competitive. And, and this is how raw Bashir is, Jared. In the first innings of this test, he took a uh, he, he picked up an LBW, and in his first class career, that was his second LBW. Like <laughs> <laughs> you think of that for an off spinner. Like if, if I'd have said to you, taking a guess, most people would have said, open it to callers, they'd say, oh, I would have taken 30, 40 LBWs. Yep. It was his second. Like two counties overlooked him before he found his way to Somerset. Two counties said, no, you've got nothing, mate. And to his credit, Stokes saw, saw him and thought, you know, the kid has got something. And he's very good at building the self-esteem. But it's so... He bowled 32 overs unchanged in the first innings of this test. But to ask these two young spinners to perform a miracle again in the second innings is, is a stretch too far. At some stage, they do feel the pinch. They're so missing Jack Leach, you know, the, the crusty old left armour who... He was no-one's idea of a... Uh, you know, an absolute master craftsman, but steady enough. And that's all you have to be sometimes in India. But this scoreline of this series will probably be 4-1 to to India, but it it totally undersells how good England have been at various stages. And I must contradict myself from last week too, Jared. I went off about how a five-test series is too long in India, and, you know, there's a hint of that. But I've got to say this. Four tests into this series, it just reinforces the majesty of longer test series. Changing plots, heroes leaving, villains uh, having a bad day, then suddenly coming out. Ollie Pope, double century maker, then a pair. Yeah. You know, it, it, all these na- these rich narratives develop. And, and, and they, you know, there's so many just great stories have come out of these four tests. They've just been compelling for test cricket. It's been a really wonderful series in every way. I, I found it as enjoyable as any series I've watched for years. Yeah, I feel that way as well. Is Joe Root actually went back to batting properly and made a 274 ball, 122 unbeaten in that first inning. So even just the, I, I one of the pieces that was, one of the think pieces that was being written is, does baseball allow for reflection, for introspection between games? And the answer to that was yes, is... Um, Root's devotion to it was seeing silly, unnecessary dismissals, which he always would have curbed in the past. And here he was making good between the third and the fourth test and, and under immense pressure in that after that first session of play when they'd lost five wickets. It was, an, it was a really interesting study that you only get in a lengthy test series. Oh, yeah. And you could see it on his face, Jared. When he walked out to bat in that first inning, but, you know, he, he was... He was as focused as I've seen him, and he just, hey, there was no signs of the sweep even. Never mind the reverse sweep or the reverse lap. He just wasn't even brave enough to sweep the ball. So it was just the master craftsman at his best. And, yeah, it, it did actually only serve to spotlight how reckless he had been in the previous test when they really needed him, and he played that silly reverse scoop. But uh, he's still quite something. Bairstow's been a real disappointment this series. I think his highest score is 38. Played a horrible shot to get out just after the break yesterday when he just bunted it to mid-off. And, and you know, they, they just couldn't afford a bad Bairstow this series. They just needed something from him. And he's been poor 
and uh, Roots is fired up, but it's taken a while. Back to the raging Turner in ranching. So there'd been there's been good variation in these pitches, but this uh, the ball that essentially went under Stokes's bat in the first session of of the first day's play had. Uh, the English commentariat ready to sort of scream blue murder. And it's had its different moments, but th- this has been the absolute archetypal spinner's pitch. <laughs> and I've got to say, Jared, I just love it. I mean, <laughs> well, well, look at where we are now. One team needs 140 to win. The wicket's sort of breaking up, but it's not too bad. They've gone through stages. For some reason, late on every day at times, it's looked more challenging than at the start of the day. And yet balls have grubbed along the ground. Then it's played all right. They've overread it. But this, to me, I so hope this test pitch doesn't get marked down. They took a gamble, India. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a feeling that if it's a good pitch, India's spinners with their supreme experience and skill set just stand out. But when it's a lottery and a big turning deck, it's a bit like fishing in an aquarium. I'm as much chance of hooking one as, as your, you know, your champion angler because there's fish everywhere. And that's what it's like on a spinning deck. You know, you just sort of, every child can win a prize and normally do. Yeah. And, and Bashir did get his five for the first innings. So they, they were brave by p- putting up a wicket, which was very cracked before play. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it was... Uh, when I always see these decks, Jared, I always think of you. Remember when Tony Gregg used to see a turning deck, and he used to just go off tap at the, at the, uh, you know, the pre-game, and that was was like a. But cricket will never. These sort of decks will never kill cricket. No, never. No, no, I agree with you on that front. Our cricket discussion for Henley Mortgage Fund: one thousand dollars a month off your home loans for two years all backed by Henley's $7 billion parent. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on a Monday. More after Nathan in the newsroom. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on a Monday. So it's Vegas week in the NRL. We'll get there in a moment. But Crash, I did want to ask you before that. So Melbourne Rebels are condemned to live this most miserable existence. A terrible opening where they were hammered 30-3 to by the Brumbies. Crowd was between, say, four and 5,000. These are torturous days for a club that is on the brink of extinction. That there's there's all sorts of the how and the why, but what a lot to have to carry for that sporting club right now. Oh, it, it really is, Jared. And look, they've shown a fair bit of spirit in their fourteen years. I mean, we all know Melbourne's not, you know, rugby heartland and, and they they nearly went under, I remember, in two thousand seventeen and were sold for a dollar. The, the private investor sold them for a dollar to Victorian Rugby Union. They took up the fight, they got them moving again. Well done, and they've kicked on another seven years. But this is desperately grim. I mean, debts of twenty three million dollars. $17,000 in the bank, uh, 10 office staff may redundant. So when you walk through the front door, who's there? You know, most people are gone. Uh, players on and coaches on four-month contracts. So everyone would be... You, you wouldn't be human if you weren't looking anywhere else, you know. And they... What saddens me was that they were a club which had their own spirit. I know the late uh, rugby union writer Wayne Smith from The Australian who passed away of a heart attack last year... He always used to say, he said, he said, I really like that club. He said, there's something about them. They made a little bit of a fuss over Smithy when he retired. They didn't have to. He went down there for a function and he thought it was one of the most touching things he'd ever had in his career. So they have got a spirit and a fibre, but, Jared, dollars and cents kick in. Rugby union at all levels. It's just been squeezed. It's popularity 
and uh, its television deal is poor. Phil Waugh, their chief executive, is working, you know, any number of hours each week to try and turn them around. But if you're at the bottom of the food chain, you're suffering big time. And there's a number of other Australian clubs that are suffering, but I can't see any way back from them. Even though they've got a delay uh, from liquidation, the ARU wanted them liquidated. They fought that in court, got an extension. And, uh, but... It's, it's got so, do you see any way back, Jared? No, well, no, I don't without knowing the intricate details of it. But I, I am interested just as a, a, an ongoing concern. So I was thinking through the only two teams I can think of it that had to carry a lot like this was when the Storm were made to play as a ghost team for no points throughout a season, which was such a cruel and unusual way to treat a team. And then Fitzroy back in their final year when all was lost uh, and that was impossible to escape, and they they were left to play out their days under. Uh, it was only a vague stay of execution. So I sort of I would put them in with those two teams who were asked to perform just an unnatural sporting task. I think. Yeah, and, and I guess motivations can take different forms, though. Like I know. Uh, at least some of the players have been motivated by the fact that they probably they're basically auditioning for their next contract, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. They want to play on somewhere else next year, so they can't drop their bundle and go down with the ship. So, on one half of them is heartbroken for what's happened uh, to to their club, but on the other hand, they've got to get moving and uh, audition for the right to be uh, to join another club. I, I, and there was always a feeling, Jared, that the rugby talent in Australia was spread a bit thinly anyway. Um, that it was had too many franchises, but uh, but they put put up a, a solid fight. But I, you just, it's just that if rugby was high in the water and they were getting a, if the World Cup was this year and there was a massive payout coming to the clubs or something like that, but this is a quiet year for rugby, you know, they, and there's not a lot to the World Cup and the Bledisloe Cup and you know the big occasions, you know, they're they're, they're they, they, I don't think it'll save them. How's Vegas week dawn for the NRL? <laughs> it's been... Have you ever seen a bigger a landslide of publicity? It's almost <laughs> as if people have forgot about the game, isn't it? And isn't that interesting, Jared? the two codes, the AFL and the NRL, one's all about the footy and the opening of the season. You know, the, the games coming to Brisbane and Sydney, you know, absolute games, are, are the centrepiece. Whereas in Vegas, <laughs> is the games on there? I can't even remember. <laughs> like, it's everything but the footy, isn't it? But uh, look, uh, it's certainly achieved the Vegas season launch of objective of, of, you know, spotlighting, showcasing, getting excited about the season. That's one thing it has. There are pockets of it that I think are really worthwhile, such as the search for American players to play in the NRL. Um, that can work. They'll give them salary caps. There'll be Mason Coxes out there, I swear to you. That, that who will come into the NRL in a few years and with these beautiful storylines, but cracking the American market over there for rugby league, poh, big ask. I mean, soccer, soccer is probably the sport you compare it to. It and after 60 years they've done it, but, but it wasn't a two or three year thing for them. They they started the 1960s and been whacking away, and uh, it's such a hard market to crack. So, what do you think represents success this weekend? I'd say a crowd of the stadium's got to be at least half full, and I think it will. Thirty thousand, uh, solid ratings on Fox One uh, in America. Uh, players staying out of trouble, and I re- and that's got to be number one. If there's any incident over there, Jared, I swear to you, 
it ruins the whole darn thing. And I'm yeah. talking one incident because it's all anyone will be talking about. I spoke to Funky Miller last week who works at MGM Hotel. You had him on your show when he spoke so well. He said, mate, there's an incident every night in a hotel in America. Someone gets robbed by a, a sex worker who, who didn't realise he was... They didn't realise she was a sex worker. And he said, just players have got to remember, and to use Funky's own language, you don't suddenly get more handsome after midnight. <laughs> and um, so there's all those traps and whatever if, if that fails. But, uh, and the chief of police over there has given him all the players his private number. That's how serious he is for it to go well. He said, ring me if you're in trouble. And so, uh, but they've been warned and warned and warned, and uh, we'll see. But I, I think uh, you wouldn't want to see empty stands there. I understand it is half full. Uh, sold out already, and be, there's more to come. So it'll be a, it'll be a dignified crowd because, as Funky himself said, Jared, how many crowds of thirty or forty thousand do you get in Australia to rugby league? Not many. Yes, it's. Uh, I'm so looking forward to how it presents. Uh, and then the other element to it. So, I read that Carl um, Stefanovic's put his own money into uh, the idea of a US rugby league competition. Yeah, look, he has, and uh, we, our uh, master actually broke that story. It's interesting. It's very ambitious. Uh, the one thing it's got is that a lot of players would love to play in it. Um, it would be like sort of the American T20 in cricket, uh, very short competition, and, and sort of get players over. It, it's ambitious. I just think I've always felt cricket's a much better chance of cracking America than rugby league for this reason – Cricket doesn't have to convert anyone, Jared. It's got millions of millions of for, of Indian uh, people of Indian origin, Bangladesh, Pakistan of Asian heritage who love cricket. So I've always been surprised why cricket hasn't cracked it there, even in a boutique way. Whereas with rugby league, you are dead set starting from scratch, uh, aren't you? So it, it's a, it's a big ask, but you know I like these sort of you know, entrepreneurs who have a crack and try and start things because there was a time when we all laughed at T20 cricket when it started. Yep. So who knows what can work? Yeah, I read that piece on the weekend that had organisers shocked by the ticket demands uh, in New York for the T20 game between Pakistan and India. I thought, oh, you hadn't you hadn't done the history at all. You're always going to be overwhelmed when there are only 34,000 tickets up for grabs for, for that game. That 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 will be the, the biggest moments in cricket in America Full stop. Biggest moment since the first game of international cricket ever. Uh, can you believe it was played? I think it was uh, the United States played Canada. And somehow it went missing. They got seduced by baseball. God damn them. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Crash, it'll be a hell of a way to start a season anyway come, uh, come the weekend with the NRL. Enjoy it. I'll look forward to talking to you next week and we'll see how things go in New Zealand. Good luck over there, Jared. It's one of the great tours. And I just reckon the Kiwis, after all these years of torment by Australia, are ready to fire up. So uh, it'll uh, fasten your seatbelt. This will be two good tests. Thanks for having us, mate. It'll fire up the debate if they do fire up. Good on you. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock on a Monday with what has been and what's coming up. 0433 98 11 16 40 Wings Temper Text. Get your unique bed match profile and find the right bed for you. 40 Winks, serious about sleep. A cross-section of your thoughts this Monday morning. On the side of Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, there is printed Australia's biggest sport unleashed in Vegas. 
Should that misleading advertising be reported to the ACCC or the American equivalent? David from Ballarat. Decisions are made by those that show up. David, I'm all for a bit of cross-border jousting, but not on this one. Good on them. Good on the NRL for doing this. Bill, in Emerald Rugby League is the most comparable sport to NFL, but faster and more scoring. It would be the perfect sport for Americans to grasp the concept. In amongst England's obvious concession, Basball isn't working in India after a tempered batting approach with the loss of early wickets in the first innings. The highlight of my SEN cricket listening weekend was the announcement of Ollie Robinson's test match no ball tally overtaking his wicket-taking column through his 20 games. That's from Brad. I was watching at that stage. That was an excellent moment. Jared, Steve Smith is not a T20 player. Never has been a T20 player. I never understand his selection. When he tries to ramp it up, he just looks like Joe Root trying to play baseball. It's embarrassing. That's from Andrew. It's all coming together for the season opener, Jared. The Saints are looking swift. The Blues are like a well-cooked steak, a little pink. And Essendon and Hawthorne are spluttering and splattering and will probably hit their straps in time for the comedy festival. That's from Ash. Carlton will destroy teams this year. Just apropos of nothing. Just a simple statement. I like it. St Kilda finished sixth and have added Henry, Bonner and Wilson. Kids are another year older. King and Memory, Memory hardly played together last year. Top eight locks. That's from Lee. Snap judgment. Freo and West Coast. Bottom four. Also can't see the Saints even getting past North this week. They don't have speed in the midfield. And that will kill them through the year. Gee, the AFL boys are soft. The Matildas played in virtual snow. And now in the hot Australian summer with just a few days to prepare. Darcy from Warrnambool. The Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the sweltering Wednesday after the, the chill of Tashkent. They took the tension out of Olympic qualification. Well done them. And Jared, what I love about sport it's so often a serpent. Just when you think all is predictable, the total opposite often eventuates. And that's what drives eyeballs and engagement. The AFL season will drive record numbers. That is from Tony. So little cross-section of your thoughts. There's some Sam Powell Pepper discussion, which we'll get to as this hour unfolds. 0433 98 11 16 40 winks temper text. Temper a mattress like no other. And 1300 736 736. Our racing rap. Now, our fine friend Gareth is in Saudi Arabia for the Saudi Cup. I, I admire that immensely. So Wayne Hawks has stepped in to join me for Westbury Stud. It's all about success with Tarzino at Westbury. Hello to you, Wayne. Morning. I was just on SEN track and Gareth is listening on the podcast. In, he's in Saudi Arabia Airlines in 47J. I don't think he's too happy about that, but anyway. Well done him getting that little trip up. Yeah, that was... Um... Over to see Ollie with... The stray rides. Yeah, that was uh, something. He, I, I texted him and said, what's it like? He said, it's actually better than what you think. So I don't know what better than what you think means, but uh, yeah, no, I don't know what that's the, my place of uh, choice to go to. The, the richest race in the world, the $20 million Saudi Cup. Quite an amazing. They lease the horse out, then the horse wins the race. Yeah. It was all just a bit of a uh, fairy tale. But you know what? Isn't racing built on fairy tales? When you hoiking in that sort of money. Uh, Mr. Brightside just continues to further his career. So I was thinking through this six, six group one wins as well as an all-star mile, which skews his, his 
prize money tallies now approaching $12.5 million. So a six-year-old in the prime of his racing days, he's won more than half of his starts, and he added to his Group 1 tally with a just easy as you like. You don't win Group 1 races much more easy than he won the Futurity. Buffalo River as they reach the 250 starting to paddle Mr Brightside is eating up the ground now and Mr Brightside goes to Buffalo River Pericles a length and a half off Mr Brightside but it's Mr Brightside clear and he's going to rack up another one Mr Brightside one from Pericles Buffalo River Dom to shoot he's always drawn comparisons with better loosen up who was the first horse that I ever loved and uh that his consistency and if you think about it, starts at the 2022 Doncaster and goes Doncaster, All-Star Mile, Doncaster, Memsey, Maccabi Diva or Futurity. It's quite the record that he is amassing. Well, he's actually starting to get a record like a Northerly or a Sunline or one of the absolute greats of winning those time-honoured races. And unfortunately, in our game this day, because it's so hard and competitive, very few horses go through a spring and an autumn. And now in the last 12 months, he's won five Group 1s and an all-star mile. I'll repeat, last 12 months, he's won five group ones and an all-star mile. That's horse of the year three times over in my eyes. I did, well, there's only one horse that can beat him in horse of the year, I would have thought, and that's the uh, Imperatrice. She's probably going to win the New Market and the TJ and go to Perth and win the uh, the Quokker and uh, that'll do her. So he's run second in the King Charles to Fangirl, second beating an eyelash in the Cox Plate when it looked like he'd won, and then second in the Cantala as well. So his th- this is the... This is the gelding, the the war horse that's been missing from our racing well for done. a long time. This is the era of Superimpose and Better Loosen Up and Vaux Rogue where they were there season after season after season. And then Northerly was that. And this is, it just feels like these are the ranks that we miss too often. Yeah, when you when you look at the what he ran second to, I mean, you know, he's, he's run second to Fangirl. She's, she is the pin-up horse of Sydney Racing. I mean, we all can't wait to see how she goes at the next start because her win the other day was ridiculous. I mean, you can't describe it any better than ridiculous. So your form's stacking up everywhere. And then, as we know, poor old Hayes has yelled and screamed and cheered when they thought they'd won a Cox Plate. So he's all but a Cox Plate winner, this horse. So, I mean, that's what Animo did at three, you know, nearly won at three, won at four. So, yet again, the Cox Plate form is stacking up, but... I just think it's great because we need these horses. These are the horses that make you want to have a bet, buy a horse, go to the races, flick it over and watch the TV. This is what puts bums on seats, full stop. We can have all the gimmicks we want, but this is the real deal stuff. And I I was a bit oblivious to the price. It was a $1.35 favourite. And first up, he got back a bit. They ran so hard. And then Craig at the 600 was, come on, mate, just a little bit quicker without pushing him too hard, saving something for the end. Sitting at home, I was in race two and four, and I bolted home as quick as I could, doing the speed limit, of course, <laughs> um, to get home to watch the, uh, be like most people, go home and watch it on the couch on a Saturday afternoon and have a couple of beers. Craig behind the barriers. Now, they showed the overhead shot as well as the side-on shot, and he was doing figure eights with the horse. So in theory, he's like, come on, mate, let's go, because obviously he wanted him to jump out quicker and faster and cleaner than what he did the other day to hold a more forward position, and that's exactly how uh, that's exactly how it, uh, how it unfolded. And 
you say you only beaten Buffalo River and Pericles and they're not group one, group one horses, but the bottom line is you can only beat what's there to be beaten. Does anyone know what ran second to Usain Bolt's wins? No, we don't care, Jared. We only care about the win. Yeah, group one's a group one. So he, at the All-Star Mile, looks at his mercy, presuming Fangirl doesn't come, and then maybe the Australian Cup to to finish off the suite of wait for age races? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's a, you know what, this, this is when you put your trainer's hat yep. on. Owners say, yes, let's do it. But from a trainer's point of view, you actually look at it and you go, do I want to go one too many? Do I really want to run him again? Do I just only run him in the all-star mile and go, you know what? You've had, you've had three gut busters. And let me tell you, they're gut busters. They are not, you know, you're not playing, uh, it's not, it's not Collingwood playing West Coast. It's, um, it's uh, Victoria Park and uh, winning by 37 goals and resting all your best players in the last quarter. If you look at the sectional times that they're running, you are running Usaid Bolt times through and through. It takes it out of you. There's no doubt about that. So, I don't know. I mean, I, w- I personally would like you to run the All-Star Mile, then, then go to the paddock and have a good spell, and then get him back for the spring because we want him again and again and again. And the one good thing that in modern times, if you look at the Wallers and the Moody's with all their great horses and all the, the great trainers, they don't overdo it. Trevor McKee never went one more. Fred Kersley hummed an art about a Caulfield Cup one year, I think. You know what I mean? But you you stick to your plan and don't deviate. And that's what I have to take my hat off to those trainers have trained those great horses. And the Hayes boys have done nothing wrong, but don't go one too many. So he's he had six runs in the spring, so that's the four lotman. He's had two here. So yeah, but yeah. if you run one more in All Star Mile, that's nine races. Now that now that's not a lot over a twelve month period. But when you're running at that level and you have to chase down at that level, he's not very rogue, jumping, going out in front, just rolling along. He's, he's doing all the bullying work to uh, drag himself home and past all the other horses in front of him. They are gut busters. Let me tell you, he would know he had a run on Saturday and it looked easier on Saturday. But for the record, watching Racing.com, Craig Williams said it was a better win on Saturday than what it was to start before. Yeah. Now, if I looked at it, I, I reckon first up was better because... Gee whiz, he was never he was never just going to win. Whereas on Saturday, he looked like he always uh, had him covered. I wonder how he graduates to the champion level now. Well, he's there. He is Six there. Six group I mean, ones, 12 and a half million. We love the word champion. He would if he won the Cox Plate. Yeah, but isn't he? Come on, I you're saying like, no. Yeah, so two Doncasters and one with the big weight. Uh, the All-Star, I'm not a big rap on the All-Star mile and where it fits. But if you ping off a couple of those in its formative years, it's it's interesting. I think is we should jealously guard the realm of champion, and you so have to where does the line in. start? Yeah, so I think he would be if he'd won the Cox Plate. Right. So do they aim for that again? What what, what would an Australian Cup do? No, um, no on those records of Australian Cup and Cox Plate. Road? There's no, no no. You know what? Thirty years ago, with those great horses you mentioned off the top, yes, because they were Cox Plate equivalents superimposers and those sort of horses. Because pretty much nearly all those horses won a Cox Plate, didn't they? And is the Cox Plate the benchmark? Well, it probably has to be, yeah, doesn't it? I think so. I think so. The, the other two group ones. So I had Clinton McDonald on a bit earlier, and I just love the story that, so grandfather Bond trains Manicato to it's win amazing. the race. Father Ross trains Corsa to win the race. I'm, they both win the slipper. And all Clinton's thinking about is I'm going to go, I'm not only doing the diamond, I'm doing the slipper as well. We can all, we all love the dream. And you know what? It's a, it's a great, it's a great, great story. There's no doubt about that. I mean, 
the filly has talk about she's not champion status. She's got a hell of a long way to go. But I mean, talk about an underrated horse at fifteen to one, and I think it was only Clint Hutchinson that tipped her. No one else wanted her. She's won the first lead up in the Blue Diamond Preview. She's won the second lead up in the Blue Diamond Prelude, and then she comes out and wins the Blue Diamond. Yeah, I mean that th- those sorts of feats are probably over uh, overlooked a lot. That is an amazing performance because very few horses today win three in a row, let alone the actual three lead-up races. So it was a hell of a performance. And Jamie Carm and I stood next to you Cup Week and uh, we, we watched her do what she did Cup Week and she's had a terrible 12 months. Things things have not gone right for her at all. And you, you do see a lot, lot, lot when you sit home on TV, I, I, you know, because normally you're there, so you're not yep. seeing it and listening to it, watching a quick replay. And Jamie was so excited, as, as she should be. Because sometimes, as I said to you last week on the program, but Imperatrice, winning the race, it was a relief. No, no, it should be a thrill to win a Group 1, not, not a, not a re- relief. So Jamie was a th- probably a relief for, I've, got, I've nailed a big one, but it was also such a, such a thrill to win a Blue Diamond. Hell of an effort. And first, second, third, fourth, seventh, were all fillies in that race. Right. So the Phillies absolutely dominate. So just look at the first four. The first four over the line were all Phillies, and they get they get a couple of con- uh, kilo concession against the boys. Right. Now, should that be the case? You've won the lead up, the big lead up, and then you've won the big one, and, and the poor old boys have got to get two kilos less. Now, they get the concession. So in theory, they're teeing off 30 yards up the road. They're, they're, they're starting, you know, 10 metres forward. Whereas, I mean, Jamie Carr, she starts level pegging with the boys. We've spoke about this before. She has no concession being a female against the males because there's nothing that we can actually do. But the horse she rode gets a two-kilo concession just because of the uh, of what sex she is. So that's a massive debate. Should, should and when is the question I would pose. Should we change it to make them level, but only when they've actually ticked a couple of boxes? So use black caviar. If she gets a kilo, say she gets two kilo concession against um, Haylist. Yep. When should she be at level weights with Haylist? Because she beats him and she's too good for him. So poor old Haylist had to carry more weight than her every time they met at weight for age. I reckon there probably should be two hits, I reckon. Win the first one, win the second one. But then after that, you need to be on a, a level playing field. That's only my opinion. Yep. Now, I said this this morning on SEN Track and someone fired a text straight in and said, yeah, that, but hang on, that's because all your best horses have been Colts or Geldings. And that was a fair call. But the bottom line is, do you reckon she'd still beat Hayless with the, with the level weights? I think she would. Yes, as Winks would have beaten them all with the level Absolutely, weights Absolutely, but it's a good, good pub talk, that one. Uh, did Spywire go mad in front? Now, Johnny's horse? Now, I spoke to you about Craig Williams doing figure eights behind, making sure his horse jumped out. Was this a tactic? I don't know. But jo- but how horses get loaded in the barriers are this. One and eight go yep. first. One and eight, two and nine, three and ten, and that's how they work because they're separate away from each other and they're loading them two at once. Now, he was the outside barrier and he was, he was out the back. So you imagine when you're in barrier one and you're in there for about 90 seconds or two minutes, that feels like you're hanging off the Westgate. Seriously. Feels like an eternity. That's why some of those horses, especially Barrier One, can quite often miss the start. Now, now, now you know what I'm going to say here. Spywire, <clears throat> excuse me, was out the back, minding his own business, slowly took his time to come up, was in no rush whatsoever, walked in the gates, 
flew out like an Oakley plater and uh, crossed and led them. Was that a smart, clever tactic by John Allen? Or am I over-reading this and, and, and am I wrong in what I'm saying? But I reckon he knew exactly what he was doing and the instructions were obviously to jump, go forward and good on him. I yeah. mean, had to get out, had to get across. It's just, it ended up going two miles too fast. hundred percent. I mean, it doesn't matter what horse you are in any of those great, great races to be a mummify and a lead in a Caulfield Cup or a Might and Power and things like that. You need to be the exceptional horses to be able to jump and lead in those great races because you are just a sitting shot for 15 others that are literally breathing down your neck. Was Lonro a champion? Though too many horses get tagged a champion, mixed the bright side, two Doncasters and beaten a photo in the Cox Plate, I think has claims to be a champion. That's from Rodney. Well, Lonro didn't win a Cox Plate. No, he... I, he didn't want a Strathair. a champion. You would? Yeah. 11 group ones. Yeah. Beaver City was one of the best he ever rode. Yeah, I think Mr. Bryce has just got a, a little bit he's more not quite to add road. to his... He's on the trajectory to, but if to we can, if we a can, champion. But, but you know what? You raise a great point. It's a loose thing to say he's a champion, but what is the parameters to yeah. say because they're different horses? You don't want to... Is Imperatrice a champion? champion? No, not yet. No? Not yet. No. Right. Does she have to win the TJ and beat them all? And, and probably a bit more. It's it's not just you know just get to collect a few group ones and be, that's my point is I think we we is elevate Winx, them way I'm, too I'm quickly. Throw this at you. Yeah, is Winx a champion yeah, for not going overseas? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh no, her, she still she, is. Yeah, the right four cox plays. I just think the realm of champion sometimes we no doubt push them in a bit too quickly. But that's the media saying that you don't very often well, it's, it's see the a trainer. Best part of it, I reckon. Of course it is. I mean, I remember when Octagonal won the Cox Plate at three, and John Hawkes put on his Tom Cruise sunglasses so that people couldn't see the tear in his eye, and he said, "This horse is a bloody champion." And everyone went, "Did John Hawkes just say yeah, yeah. a horse actually is the elite level?" And he went off early, but the difference was one, he knows what he's talking about. Number two, he he knew what was under the hood. So uh, that was a little bit different. Tell Hawksey that Richard Thompson ran second to Usain in the 2008 Olympic 100 metres final and Johan Blake came second to Usain Bolt. I care. <laughs> so that's very good. Was that from Bruce McAvoy? <laughs> <laughs> um, Harry Coffey, is, I feel like people would know Harry Coffey is, has cystic fibrosis. Yes. He has overcome so much to build his career. He's in his late 20s and he got his second group one winner when Q-Man won the uh, the Oakley Plate on Saturday. Just, it's brilliant what he's been able to do with his sporting career. Well, he won a Group 1, I think it was in Adelaide, and then he said, post-race, this is my first Group 1 in Victoria because the first one might be a fluke, but the second one, it ain't no fluke. <laughs> and good on him. I texted him as soon as I went across the line. He's um, I got to know him because he's best mates with Jai McNeil, and the, they're yes, very, right. very close. They're from up the same uh, same way, up, up near Echuca Way, and... It was a great feel-good story. The people come from Adelaide, <coughs> excuse me, the Oxleys, they had two runners in an Oakley plate. I mean, it's hard enough to get one runner, yeah. let alone to have two runners in an Oakley plate, and to actually pull it off and take the uh, take the cash and go back over the border with with um, a jockey that is not famous for winning Group 1s because he's never won a Group 1 in Melbourne before. I, it's just a phenomenal story. And I suppose to, to, to balance it out, there wasn't an Aussie Group 1 winner in the race besides Skew. If she'd won a Group 1 in New Zealand, yep. the new market's probably a race as well that's probably lost a little bit. The Doncaster's not the race it was because of the Queen Elizabeth. So it's not the Oakley Plate's fault. You can only put in your horse to run in the race. You cannot help what your opposition is. It is not Racing Victoria. It's not Melbourne Racing Club. It's not the opposition's fault. You can only beat what's there to be beaten is the line. 
So it was a great, great effort and a great, great result. But some of these, some of these races are going a bit left field and a bit wandering. You know, then raises the question about Group One status and things like that. Yep. People will cringe, but we do have races like uh, the Everest that aren't Group Ones, and there's no doubt the Everest has become the uh, that and the TJ the best two sprint races in the country. Yeah, that's the truth. All right, Wayne, lovely to see you. Thanks for wrapping our racing on a Monday because I won't see you Wednesday. More um, holidays. <laughs> well, you going back to folks? He's going back to Vegas. He's going back to Vegas, folks. Uh, Wayne Hawks for Westbury Stud, Tarzino, Reliable Man, Redwood and Al Rocker, each providing success in more ways than one at Westbury Stud. Heyman near post. Hunt as well. Ford comes short. It's towards Hunt and Heyman. Heyman, it's in. Michelle Heyman's done it. Oh, it was a great ball from Fowler. Here she is again. Mary Fowler, beautifully done. The shot. Oh, fantastic goal. Clinical, individual finish from Mary Fowler. Wide with Catley, looks up and crosses. Ford is there, and that's three. And the goals are flooding in for the Matildas against Uzbekistan. Take the tension out of Olympic qualification. That's what the Matildas were able to do on the weekends. They now come to Melbourne with a three-goal cushion. It's at Marvel Stadium on Wednesday night. It's sold out against Uzbekistan. Australia is as good as at the Olympics, barring a total catastrophe. It's so interesting to see how the turf comes up. So uh, we're at Pink on Friday night, and knowing that those two concerts Friday, Saturday, then the world, the Olympic qualifier on Wednesday night, and then Pink's got two more. I think they might be, is they March 12 and 13 uh, on the rapid turnaround for round one. So a different turf scenario at Marvel, it seems, towards at the MCG with the replacement. But it'll be so interesting to see how that turf comes up on Wednesday night. So the Matildas doing the business on that front. And then uh, if you caught the story of Jordan Thompson, so breakthrough moment in an ATP 250 tour event, wins the singles and the doubles, essentially plays the three games on one day with the way the times pan out. It's his biggest moment, really, isn't it? Curios won in Washington in 2022. He won the singles and the doubles at the same tournament. But the way he was able to do it, this is a career achievement for Jordan Thompson. joy for Jordan Thompson in Los Cabos. The miraculous marathon week ends with him as an ATP singles champion for the first time in his career. I spent so many hours on the court this week and in the quarterfinal, uh, you know, I could have got double bagged. I could have been losing six love, six love. And, um, you know, now uh, about to lift a trophy. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think, I think it's still a miracle. <laughs> a miracle. So, Three, winning three matches in the span of six hours and 46 minutes was how the sums were done by the ATP. Absolutely outstanding. We've got a stack of messages to share, maybe a couple of calls if you like, after Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Uh, so I promised to curate some of these thoughts around the Pal Pepper bump, which is going to relate uh, result in a suspension. It's just a question of what will the AFL go for. Jared, people who are saying Keane was slung into Pal Pepper what do they think he was going to do? Just run through no one? He had every intention of hitting Keane and should rightly get games. You cannot just take out a player who has no chance of avoiding or defending himself. That's from Peter in Happy Valley. 
Uh, the people in Adelaide are wailing that SPP is not at fault and the tackle caused the impact. It is easy to see that Power Pepper stops and props to change direction and intentionally bump. Minimum four, surely. That's been in Adelaide. Power Pepper versus Keane. It looks like their heads still actually make contact. If Power Pepper leaves himself open, he would most likely have worn Keane's head in his own face. Surely no one can seriously think Power Pepper tried to pick him off. Uh, how can the MRO be involved if these are unsanctioned practice matches? No, they are sanctioned practice matches, Jason. And I know the rules have been modified, but if the power pepper bump gets four to five weeks, definitely deserves significant penalty. It makes an absolute mockery of Maynard getting off and playing in the grand final. So there's a cross-section of those thoughts from the Bombers and the Saints snap judgment. More on the Dons than the Saints on that game, still no defensive structure and don't look capable of kicking a winning score. Led the preseason on positive press articles and lost all confidence before the practice matches even start. Long season ahead for Bombers fans. Jared Essendon weren't bad. They were diabolical. While the Saints looked settled and in sync, Essendon were experimenting with Durham as an inside mid. Satis on a wing and a pipe dream that Nick Barton could be our Dacos, laugh out loud, and that alone needs to be rectified. So I quickly realised we aren't actually a team looking to take a leap into the top eight with a more solidified game plan that has a greater emphasis on defence. We are in no man's land with concrete boots. That's Brendan. It's very early in the season to be that down in the mouth. And St Kilda got smashed by GWS last year, but not much is mentioned about how much the Tim Membry situation would have rocked the team. I think some players would have been shell-shocked. That is from Andrew. Rod's on the road uh, with a view towards the Rebels. Hello to you, Rod. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, Jared. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm in my early 40s. Um, old man's in his mid-60s. We, um, we love our AFL, love our Melbourne Storm. We're, uh, we're members, members there. Um, it's a real carnival atmosphere when you go to the Storm games. You know, they're a great club. Um, Going to the Rebels, like we just enjoy watching, you know, just go and watch live sport. We decided probably four or five years ago to go a few, to a few games, and and whilst the Rebels may lose, um, lose more often than not, it doesn't really bother us a great deal. The passion probably isn't quite the same as when you AFL to AFL or NRL team loses, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like most Melbournians, where um, you know, like Melbourne's the sporting capital of Australia and the world and all that, um, and yet to see to see a Melbourne team get wiped off the map, um. Yeah, it's um, a bit of a kick in the guts and death of the pride, I think. Are you, are you fearful as to where this leads, Rod, on a trajectory that, that seems pretty dire? Well, it's probably, well, it's probably more just... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know much about, about rugby union and um, I, sort of, um, I sort of watch it and I sort of find it hard to sort of really follow the game closely and when decisions get made, you know, what actually happens and that. It's, it's a good game to go and watch and it's just good to have Melbourne teams... It is. Rod, thank you. Thanks for your first-hand experiences at Rebels Games. Uh, and I wonder, I just, I think they have been condemned to an impossible lot uh, in this season that is going to unfold. A little bit of a review of WWE, 52,000 in Perth, and Midday Madness to come. Dwayne's here, so we'll have a chat to set you up for all of that. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. The champion turns her attention to Nia. Kick to the face. Can Rhea pull it off? Riptide! You're not only kidding me! A riptide! 
Here is your winner, and still the women's world champion, Rhea She was the centrepiece of the Elimination Chamber with 52,000 plus at Optus Stadium in Perth. It was the WWE's biggest shows here since, what, the Super Showdown at the MCG with 70,000 and back to Global Warning at Marvel Stadium in 2002 that drew 57,000. So it was interesting on a couple of fronts is what's Australia's place in the grand scheme of things and what events might come here off the back of that. And the main one was to hail Rhea Ripley's rise within the WWE and to hear Triple H talk about her in the lead up to it was to understand that she is one of their great superstars. Her family was ringside and it was it was all really rather beautiful. Our man Nims Azul was there. He's got his Elimination Chamber merch on as we meet today. Hello to you, Nims. Good morning, Jared. How are you? Was it a good show? It was absolutely fantastic. And a big contribution to that was the venue was tremendous and the fans turned up. Everyone went all in on the premium live event. And I, I got to say, I've been to a WrestleMania event before. This was better. This was just so much better. We absolutely showed the Americans how to do it. And it was just a stellar effort for all. It, it had such a build up over three days. What do you think it told the WWE about Australia's place for them? Well, the the sell was, and they even had a, a press event beforehand. It wasn't to the extent of the one that you went to in Vegas um, with The Rock and everything like that, but um, they had a press event outside Optus Stadium. Now, it was about 37 degrees, and somehow 4,000 fans were hanging outside the front of Optus Stadium. There were chants of, we want sunscreen, can we have water? <laughs> to which Triple H, who is not just a character, but a the one of the heads of the WWE came out and threw bottles of water and sunscreen into the crowd. It was just a phenomenal turnout. Perth actually, and all of WA was, it was really put into the spotlight and to every person watching at home, from what I've read on Twitter, everyone was saying, wow, Perth looks brilliant. Australia looks great. How did they turned up in the most remote capital city of the country? Everyone came. What, what sort of emotion swirled around Rhea Ripley as the so she was the main event uh, we we've documented previously when she won this title at WrestleMania last year she was front page of the Adelaide Advertiser so what she's been able to do within that company what it means to her and more broadly she was also front page of the West Australian the following day as well and uh, I'm sure she would have taken up the back page but I think that was another Harley Reid story but <laughs> not and but. This entire event was sort of set around her homecoming. She's already had big moments. You spoke to her after she won her championship against Charlotte Flair at WrestleMania last year, but this entire event was catered to showcase Rhea Ripley. She's only 27 years old, yet she's going to be one of the brightest superstars for the WWE. It was it was really nice because the entire event was bookended by two Australians. The opening match was Indy Hartwell, who's a local girl from from Melbourne. She made her way up through the ranks, trained in Ferntree Gully at, at a, a wrestling facility there and made her way throughout the independent scene. She got a huge roar at the start. So everyone was thinking, if that was for Indy Hartwell, what's it going to be like for Perth? And the 
I know you've been to Optus Stadium, Jared. It is a phenomenal place. And when they pack it with pyro and fireworks, the light show, it was sensational. And it was a very emotional time for Rhea as well. You could see when she was coming down the ramp, there were times where she almost looked like she was about to tear up. But then obviously I had to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, back into character. Let's, let's yes. not let the moment um, um, overwhelm her. So that's that's right. It's more Margot Robbie than it is Sam Kerr. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, in the aftermath, when Rhea was surrounded by her family when she did uh, the post-show interview. It's hard to put into words exactly how special this is, to be honest. Um, I'm still so taken back by the crowd reaction, actually seeing my family out there. And um, to be completely honest, um, at the very end, when um, I had that extra time to myself, I, I let it fully soak in. And uh, it's funny because I had a weird flashback of uh, my last match here in Australia. And um, I defended my title then. I left champion because mommy's always on top, you know. But I remember sitting in the middle of the ring and just soaking it all in and soaking up the crowd and just letting them in and letting them affect me in a way that I don't really try and let them affect me and I did the same thing tonight without even meaning to and it just gave me that flashback and it was a real wholesome moment for the for me it it really was it was lovely and her sister her mom and her dad so I think she had 13 family members there Nims yeah and she also had a couple of her her Riot City Wrestling from Adelaide uh you know, colleagues that were there in the audience as well. It was a really good moment. And to have 52, I couldn't imagine what it'd be like. It, it almost seems like it's a 21st to the max uh, with 52 <laughs> people, 52,000 people chanting your name. But it was, the to, to the WWE's credit, with past shows, you mentioned that we had um, in 2002 Global Warning Tour and we had Super Showdown at the MCG. But for those that don't know wrestling too much, I had to explain this to a friend. If you see the Royal Rumble as rounds 16 to 22 of the AFL season, Elimination Chamber is the finals before you move on to WrestleMania, the grand final. So for the WWE to actually have a show that impacted on story, that had all of the top stars, Logan Paul was there, um, Randy Orton was there, big names came down for this show. Triple H, as I mentioned, Cody Rhodes, Seth Rollins. The WWE really went all in on this. And I think, I really hope that it's not the last time that we're going to see the WWE on our shores with a proper show. Nims, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks for sharing it with us today. An absolute pleasure, Jared. Look forward to seeing you when I'm back in the studio. Good on you, Nims Azua. He was there at the Elimination Chamber and where Australia fits in the grand scheme of these major WWE events. I didn't mind this. Brett sent through. West Australians turn up to the WWE but refuse to turn up to their test match. Strange lot over there. Brett Moonbacker's marsh. Good on you. Uh, we'll have a chat with Dwayne and set you up for Midday Madness next.